Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. New details tonight about a shooting spree that left four people dead in Penticton. 68-year-old John Britton is charged with three counts of first-degree murder and one count of second-degree murder. He appeared in court today. Our Nadia Stewart is there with more on his first appearance and what we're learning about the victims, Nadia. Yeah, we now know the names of the three remaining victims, Darlene Nippelberg and Susan and Barry Wanch. They, along with Rudy Winter, were shot and killed on Monday. Police say all the victims knew each other and this shooting was targeted. For the people who call this neighborhood home, yeah, shook everybody up. It's been an unsettling 24 hours. The four victims are also four neighbors. And Global News has learned their names are Rudy Winter, Darlene Nippelberg, Susan Wanch, and Barry Wanch. We're told the Wanches moved to Penticton only a few years ago. He moved here from Alberta about two years ago and retired. Worked on used furniture, older furniture. We do know the first scene was Heels Avenue at 10.30 on Monday morning where Winter was doing some landscaping when he was the first one targeted. I talked with my neighbor who uh, actually was gardening at the time and she had heard them an argument or something and she then she wasn't paying attention and then she heard the shots. The second scene unfolded on Cornwall Drive. Rudy's wife was not home at the time, but her neighbors across the street were. The Wanches and Nippleberg were shot and killed. By 11.30, the suspect turned himself into police. And by Tuesday morning, 68-year-old John Britton made his first court appearance, facing one count of second-degree murder and three counts of first-degree murder. Things like that usually don't happen in Penticton. Penticton Mayor John Vasilaki confirms Britton used to work as an engineer for the city. He was a gentleman. He uh, did his job well. The news also came as a shock to Britton's current employer, Ecora. The accused no longer lived on Cornwall, but Global News has learned his ex-wife still has a home in the neighborhood. There is speculation the shooting was motivated by a dispute between neighbors, though sources tell Global News there had been peace in recent years. No confirmation from investigators on that theory. All right, Nadia, so first appearance in court for John Britton today. Do we know what's next for him? Yeah, he will be back in court, Chris, on May the 8th. As for the community, there will be a vigil held tomorrow night as they try to make sense of what happened here. Back to you. It's going to be a long time to heal from this, I'm sure. Thanks very much, Nadia. Well, today marked day one of the trial in another high-profile case. Andrew Berry is charged with two counts of second-degree murder in connection with the deaths of his two young daughters in Oak Bay. Rumina Dea has more on the chilling testimony presented in court today. And a warning, some of the details are disturbing. The first witness, Constable Ulanowski, choked up on the stand when he told the jury he saw what looked like a body on the bed. 
The officer was the first to enter the apartment where the bodies of six and a half year old Chloe Berry and her four year old sister Aubrey were found on Christmas Day in Oak Bay in 2017. Crown told the jury the evidence will show Andrew Berry killed his two daughters and then tried to commit suicide. Crown said, I expect you'll hear Chloe was stabbed 26 times, some before she died, some after. I expect you'll hear Aubrey was stabbed 32 times, some before, some after. Constable Ulanowski told the court, I walked into the bathroom. There was a nude male in the tub. He had cuts to the left side of his chest. There was blood around the neck area. He had a golf ball sized black eye. Crown said they, the first responders, heard Barry say, kill me, leave me alone. Family and friends of the victims were in court. They are not commenting at this time. Crown told the jury Mr. Barry had animosity towards his parents and his ex, the mother of his children. Crown went on to say Barry was in a negative financial position to pay rent and hydro. He couldn't support his daughters, therefore he could lose access. Andrew Barry has pleaded not guilty to two counts of second-degree murder. Defense has not had a chance to cross-examine the first witness. This trial is expected to last about three months. Romina Dea, Global News. A well-known professional free skier has lost his life in an accident near Pemberton. My name is Dave Treadway. I'm a professional skier and full-time road tripper. Dave Treadway died Monday. Pemberton's search and rescue called to an area near Rhododendron Mountain where Treadway had fallen into a 30-meter deep crevasse. We had uh, 14 uh, SAR members involved yesterday. We also did a mutual call to our sister team in Whistler uh, to provide some additional uh, backup support. Just due to the, uh, the nature of the call and where it was located, we, uh, when we realized it was going to be a technical terrain, we wanted to make sure that we had enough resources to be able to, uh, uh, to, to handle the operation. Treadway had been working on a project called Free Range Family, documenting his family traveling the continent in search of what he described as epic skiing and a simple life. He's produced more than a dozen ski videos and was thought of by many in the sport as one of the most influential skiers of our time. He's survived by his wife and two young boys. Concern is growing tonight over the upcoming 420 cannabis protest. The park board calling for the concert to be cancelled over safety and damage concerns. And tonight, fire crews are also voicing their frustrations. Tanya Beja has more on the push for the city to take a tougher stance and how the mayor explains his position. As Vancouver braces for a major smoke-in at Sunset Beach, firefighters are sounding the alarm. A free hip-hop concert will likely draw thousands more to an event that is already unsanctioned, raising questions about public safety. There's no limits on the size of the crowd. Uh, there's no designated exit areas. There's always inherent dangers and risks with that, and we can't address them uh, adequately. The park board voted Monday to ask 420 organizers to cancel the Cypress Hill show. Some commissioners also calling on Vancouver's mayor to step in. I really think it's time for Mayor Kennedy Stewart to show some leadership. Mayor Stewart says the city tried many ways to discourage the annual toke-up, but won't crack down when the crowds show up. 
We don't want uh, scenes you see in other cities with tear gas and police on horseback riding through crowds. That's not, uh, that's not the approach here. Instead, city crews will focus on managing event safety, including checking the concert stage and inspecting the field for damage afterwards. We'll be sending them a bill for all the costs, including policing costs. And then uh, we reserved the right to take legal action. Any thoughts on 420 here? Uh. Clean up your mess. 420 to me was supposed to be like a protest. And now that it's legalized, I'm not so sure what they're protesting. I think they should move it somewhere else. I don't care if it's to move to the moon. I think a little bit of give and take on both sides would be useful. The smoke hasn't even cleared on this year's protest, but fire officials say it's time to start planning ahead. We should start working now on what this event might look like next year and find a suitable place and plan for it adequately. The city says it's already considering other, more suitable sites. Tanya Beja, Global News. The effort to get parking relief around hospitals has hit a speed bump. Many people are frustrated by the high cost of parking or the penalties if you get a ticket. So one group filed an FOI request to see what Impark makes from violation revenue at Fraser Health Hospitals. But as Grace Key explains, the company doesn't seem to want that information made public. With parking at a premium at Surrey Memorial Hospital, some risk breaking the rules. And for those not lucky enough to snag a two-hour free street parking spot, there's pay parking. It's bad enough trying to psych yourself up to go in to do everything that you have to do. And then on top of it, you got to worry about your parking. I've been a cancer patient since 2015, and I don't know how the money we've spent on parking is ridiculous. I think it should be free. I, th I think it should be free, or at least more reasonably priced. John Buss is the founder of HospitalPayParking.ca. In his latest effort to get rid of hospital parking fees, he's requesting that Impark release its numbers regarding violation tickets and cars towed. But Impark believes that the disclosure may be harmful to business interests and should be withheld. The Provincial Health Services Authority recently signed a $14.5 million five-year contract with Impark to manage Fraser and Coastal Health Hospital parking lots. The company also keeps revenue from violation tickets. You don't want accountability when the public comes asking? That's ridiculous. So it's unfortunate that they've, they've taken this measure. While the group ultimately wants parking fees eliminated, in the meantime, they're also requesting to make parking free for the first two hours at Surrey Memorial Hospital. That would greatly help a lot of folks that uh, come to visit the hospital those that come for testing, things that can be done in a couple of hours. And I think that this would shift the mandatory fee for everyone to visit the hospital to optional for many. The Information and Privacy Commissioner is now reviewing Impark's request to withhold the information. Grace Key, Global News. It's Decision Day in Alberta, and it's not often British Columbians take such a keen interest in what's happening next door, but this election is different. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on what's at stake and the potential impact here. Keith. Yeah, so you're right. We usually don't pay that much attention to other provincial elections. But in this case, the guy who all pollsters are picking to win here, Jason Kenney, the United Conservatives, is threatening economic harm on British Columbia by restricting the flow of oil. That would have an impact on the price you pay at the pump, and it would have an impact on BC's economy as well. So here are the numbers we're looking at in terms of if you want to watch uh, the election results on BC1 tonight. Uh, there are 87 seats in Alberta, as there are in British Columbia. So it takes 44 seats to form a 
majority. At dissolution, the NDP, of course, was the majority government with 52 seats. Uh, under Rachel Notley's leadership, the United Conservatives were now combined, the old Wild Rose and Conservative Party, at 25 seats and 10 seats distributed among other parties and independents. We caught up with uh, the two front runners making their pitches on the campaign trail to Alberta voters. Folks, we are going to uh, fight for a fair deal, and that includes, as the first act of a United Conservative government, proclaiming into law the Turn Off the Taps legislation, Bill 12. Yes. To show the New Democrats in B.C. that we mean business in defending our vital economic interests and Alberta jobs. On Trans Mountain, we are this close. We have come this far through patient, determined, strategic action. But Mr. Kenny is prepared to mess it all up so that he can make headlines. It's risky. It's wrong for Alberta. Well, he certainly has made headlines with that turn off the taps. I've heard a lot of that lately. How easy would it be for Kenny to actually do that if he's elected? Well, you heard him say he's going to proclaim into law Bill 12, which is called Preserving Canada's Economic Prosperity Act. He can do that. That doesn't take a lot of work. Now, what that law does, it will give the, the Alberta Energy Minister the, the power uh, to revoke licenses of any companies shipping oil outside of Alberta. That would inflict economic pain on those companies based in Alberta. So it's one thing to say it on a campaign trail, quite another thing to do once you're in the Premier's office. But this is a guy you got to pay attention to. Yeah, and it still has impact, uh, even if he can't take the, the action. Keith, thank you. Yeah. Powerful images from Paris last night. Firefighters surveying the damage inside Notre Dame, ravaged by fire. The inferno raging for more than 12 hours, destroying the spire and the roof. Now, thankfully, the twin medieval bell towers were spared. There are still concerns that the unstable structure could partially collapse. Even so, French President Emmanuel Macron is vowing the 850-year-old cathedral will be rebuilt. And millions of dollars in pledges are already pouring in. New images tonight of the 400 French firefighters as they fought a pitched battle to save this country's most cherished monument. Running into the burning cathedral, but for all their bravery, the firefighters could not stop Notre Dame's spire from burning and crashing down. After working through the night, authorities announced this morning that the fire was finally out. Notre Dame was saved. Father Laurent watched from a nearby parish. Many people were crying as if someone has lost his life. But tonight, inspectors are warning there are still vulnerabilities and weaknesses in the stone walls. Authorities evacuated five residential buildings next to the church, fearing a collapse. The flames destroyed the roof made of ancient timbers. The spire crashed into the interior, damaging the nave and choir below. Today, these aerial images showing the extent of the damage across the building's entire ceiling. Workmen sawed away a massive statue to lift it and reduce weight on the cathedral's northern corner, where architects assess the building is weakest. But inside, faith met fire and won. This is what the famous interior looked like before the inferno. Today, our first glimpses inside, much less damage than many feared. Donations are pouring in to help repair the 850-year-old cathedral. Now the investigation into the cause of the massive blaze is underway. Investigators revealing workers found no fire when the first alarm went off. It wasn't until the second alarm, 23 minutes later, that a fire was discovered. 
Investigators say there's no evidence of arson and have questioned construction workers who were doing a renovation project on the roof. Shirley and Ali Page from Virginia had just arrived on their first trip to Paris, snapping this picture minutes before the fire started. And now you have a now, picture. Now we have a picture which we will frame when we get home. They were later stunned watching the inferno unfold. I mean, just looking at it, you felt like this could not really be happening. Not only did French firefighters prevent the complete destruction of the cathedral, crews, along with the chaplain of the Paris Fire Brigade, managed to form a human chain to enter the burning structure and rescue some of the priceless artifacts. Among the ancient treasures saved, the crown of thorns, which many believe was worn by Jesus Christ, and the tunic of Saint Louis, worn by the 13th century French King Louis. Some of the artifacts were moved from City Hall to the Louvre today, wrapped in protective foam sheets. Our reports about drivers who feel they were unfairly ticketed for not providing a breath sample have prompted others to come forward with similar stories. As Richard Zussman reports, one, uh, one woman says she was ticketed despite having a condition that's left part of her face weakened. It still makes Patty Dowler nervous to be behind the wheel of her car. Two years ago, Dowler was at the local beer and wine store in Souk. She dropped off some empty cans and bought some beer. Soon after getting back in her car, she was pulled over on this stretch of road. She told the officer she wasn't impaired and was asked to do a breathalyzer on the side of the road. I knew that there was probably people going by that knew me and it, it was just very, very stressful, especially when I wasn't able to complete the test. The reason she couldn't make the breathalyzer register? Her Bell's palsy, a medical condition where the muscles on the right side of her face are weakened. The doctor's note says that because of the Bell's palsy, I wouldn't be able to make a seal around the device. It, it just wouldn't happen. Dowler appealed and lost. She's one of a handful of British Columbians who has now come forward to Global News with concerns around the way the roadside test works with those that have breathing difficulties. Lawyer Michael Mulligan says the changes were made by the province in order to save money on costs for legal bills. Well, in many cases that may uh, be expeditious, um, it runs the real risk, as we've seen, uh, of capturing innocent people, uh, people who uh, displayed no symptoms of impairment. All told, the incident cost Dowler thousands of dollars, including getting her car out of the impound lot and getting her license back after it was revoked. But the incident took away a lot more than that. I was going about my business on a regular day and my whole life was changed. I, I did absolutely nothing wrong. Dowler was reluctant to come forward with her story, but is hoping now that she's sharing it with many others. Change will come. Yeah. Richard Zussman, Global News, Souk. A young woman who was formerly in government care is urging others like her to take advantage of a provincial program aimed at helping them get an education. The provincial government today updated its program that covers the cost of tuition fees for students who had been in government care for at least two years. Of the 2,200 former youth in care in post-secondary schools, only about 800 have their tuition waived. And one of those students is urging more former youth in care to enroll in the program. 
I hear that many youth who are eligible for the tuition waiver do not use it. That's another reason I am here. I feel we need to spread awareness so that youth know what support is available to them. This can help break the cycle and give people a chance to progress in education and a chance to build a stable, successful, and healthy life. The city of Surrey is admitting tonight that it's having more trouble than expected capturing the peafowl that have overrun one neighborhood. They sure are beautiful birds, but as Aaron MacArthur reports, their attempts to catch and relocate the giant animals have met with limited success. They are still here. Despite a trapping program run by the city, Sullivan Heights, home to several dozen peafowl. Not at all unusual to see them calmly strutting down the street. To date, we've actually captured and rehomed nine peafowl in total. Uh, we have three more currently at our facility. The trapping program hasn't gone as well as the city would have hoped. Being birds, they are harder to trap than terrestrial nuisance creatures. And once trapped, the relocation program takes much longer than anticipated. Residents who live directly under the birds say the situation has gone on long enough. Unfortunately, as you can see, there's peacock crap right there. Um, it's not getting any better? Yeah, they're beautiful birds, but my gosh, there's, there's way more now than, you know, than before. Last year, neighborhood angst boiled over when one homeowner illegally chopped down a tree in his yard to stop the birds from roosting directly over his family's heads. Some people here love the peacocks and the charm they bring to the neighborhood. And in the spring, you see all the little pea babies. They're so cute. <laughs> you don't mind? <laughs> no, not at all. Well, and I live far enough away that that squawk is, I can hear it, but it doesn't bother me. Since signs have gone up and the trapping began, nuisance complaints are down. But it's breeding season. The peacocks get aggressive, the peahens give birth, and the population jumps significantly. The best the city expects to do here is strike a balance where the number of birds is manageable for the whole community. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. An announcement today of federal funding for affordable housing in Vancouver ended up with Ottawa's representative admitting he's giving a lot more money to Toronto. $1.33 million is being earmarked to renovate Kelly Courts, a 45-unit rental building for people with disabilities and their families. But reporters pointed out the feds just gave Toronto $1.3 billion, with a B, dollars for affordable housing, almost a thousand times more. What Toronto did was bundle all of its applications together to simplify the process to, 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 for us in terms of having one application as opposed to dozens of applications. Uh, and they came with a block financing proposal. We're in conversations now with, with the major, major housing providers in the Lower Mainland to, to do the same sort of thing. The federal government says the housing program is a 10-year plan and it expects to make more announcements in the future. Now, a Kelowna woman is hoping others can learn from her mistake after she bought a flight through a discount website. As Global's Kelly Hayes reports, the airline she thought she was flying with has no record of her booking, and she's wondering if her money is gone forever. 
Canada. Press 1. Otherwise, stay on the line. Amanda Beaudry is on hold. She's trying to call an online travel website she stumbled upon while booking a flight for her son. Yeah, I was booking online to send my oldest son, Brayden, home for Easter weekend. She shopped around and found this site, OneTravel.com. Beaudry went ahead and booked the flight and waited for email confirmation. Still no email, no confirmation email of the flight. And I'm getting worried. So she called Air Canada, which told her there was no record of her booking a flight, even though the charge showed up on her credit card. Through Air Canada and Cheapo Air. And I'm like, Cheapo Air? That's weird, because I used One Travel. So she called Cheapo Air to find out what was going on. So you have already made a reservation, Amanda? Yes. All right, ma'am. Uh, please stay connected. I'm going to transfer your call to customer service department. They will help you out regarding your reservation, okay? Okay, that's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. No, I'm not getting connected. How does Beaudry know she won't get connected? She's been at this since the weekend. I would wait half an hour, 45 minutes. My mom went upstairs, did her shopping, came home, and I'm still on here because I'm that oblivious because I believed that they're actually going to answer that phone. Cheapaware is a legitimate company, but it does attract a lot of complaints. According to the Better Business Bureau, it was the subject of 870 complaints in the past three years and more than 250 in the past 12 months. We have heard complaints of the company. The experts say Cheapaware is one of many online travel websites and some carry a reputation. It is quite easy these days to put up a, a site and start taking bookings. But unfortunately, it seems like the customer service depth behind it is just isn't there. Meantime, Beaudry remains on hold, waiting for answers. I can stand here for an hour. I know I'm not getting transferred. This is the same elevator music I listened to all day yesterday. We attempted to contact Cheapoware, but it hasn't responded to our messages. Kelly Hayes, Global News, Kelowna. She's determined. She is. you got to feel for her, mm-hmm. for sure. In Health Matters tonight, University of Victoria researchers are set to play a big role in cutting-edge cancer research. Thanks to more than a million dollars of new funding, UVic scientists are working to design treatments that are personalized for each patient. And Kylie Stanton explains why, if it works, it'll be a sweet success. Whether they're healthy or cancerous cells, they have one thing in common. Sugar. It's what helps them divide and grow, what's now become a crucial element in designing a -a one-of-a-kind treatment. The cancer cells and the cells of your immune system are in a constant tug of war, and they're in this sort of nutritional arms race, and your immune system eventually loses its battle. To turn that around, scientists with the BC Cancer Agency, in partnership with the University of Victoria, are now researching a new type of immunotherapy that factors in a patient's diet as a means of engineering natural immune cells to fight cancer, a process known as CAR-T therapy. Which stands for chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapy. It enhances immune cells to provide them with the armor needed to win the race for sugar, tipping the balance of power away from the cancer cells while allowing immune cells to fight back. It's been successful in treating leukemia and some types of lymphoma, but when it comes to breast, ovarian or prostate cancer, more work needs to be done. And I think that that's the next goal is moving these types of therapies into the solid cancers. And really I think it's um, giving cancer patients Um, their families, um, hope. 
but the therapy is currently not available in Canada. Patients who want to receive the treatment must travel to the States. The price, $470,000 U.S. Researchers say it takes this kind of work to produce and deploy it here, ideally within the national health care system. I mean, that's huge. It's, it's no use developing a therapy if 95% of the world can't afford it. To make that a reality, Lum has been awarded a research grant of more than $1 million over the next five years. The focus right now is to enhance the CAR-T therapy so it may one day provide patients with treatment options based on their own diets and genetic makeup. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. As expected and as feared by B.C.'s recreational fishing industry, the federal government has just shut down the Chinook salmon fishery. Tough new restrictions mean most areas of B.C. will be catch and release only until at least mid-July. And after that, fishers will be able to keep only one or two Chinook depending on the region. Ottawa says the restrictions are necessary to save Chinook from extinction. You'll find details on the Fisheries and Oceans website. A program designed to teach children the importance of caring for our oceans has received a big shot in the arm. As Linda Aylesworth reports, it's now teamed up with a familiar name in recycling, hoping to spread its message of conservation even further. So I'm going to help you lift it up, so let's turn around. Allison Wood is passionate about the ocean. Uh, put the paddle in the other hand. There you go. And sharing that passion with others. So she co-created Ocean Ambassadors Canada. We really felt that there was a, a lack of connection with nature, um, with the young people. 3,000 students have gone through the program. Today at Kitts Beach in Vancouver, it's Nightingale Elementary's turn. This is what something we looked at before. Do you remember what it was called? Um, uh, like I the sweet kelp. Love. Yeah, yeah. It's called sugar kelp. For two years, Ocean Ambassadors has gone it alone. But now they've officially partnered with the recycling organization Return It, which means they'll be able to engage even more children. We're looking to you guys, the next generation, um, to change how we... Um, approach this problem and to, to think and act differently. The problem, marine plastic. Eight billion kilograms of it finds its way into the ocean every year. They do a really good job of teaching us about the microplastics and plastic in the ocean. It's much way more fun than learning it in the classroom. Okay, so what's a secondary microplastic? Litter. No, that's a primary microplastic. Oh, Another goal, to help them bond with the ocean and in so doing, care about it and protect it. Almost every day that we do a program, we'll have uh, several kids that have never been in the ocean and often we'll have kids that haven't been to the beach. Let alone on a paddleboard and occasionally in the water. It was pretty fun, yeah. I found out a lot that was really cold, the water. But it's a day James won't soon forget. The wish for him and the other children? To be leaders when they leave here and to really become ocean ambassadors. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Good last picture. An astonishing sight for the crew of an oil rig turns out to be a miraculous story of survival. That's right after the forecast. An astonishing sight in the water of Burrard Inlet today, too, for a lot of people. Orcas in the water. we got some video, and here's Christy with the details. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, so reports of them in the Vancouver Harbor, several reports, actually. At least three have been reported, and we've got some videos uh, showing you that right now. Zooming in, yes. So near the second arrows, this is looking, I think, uh, close to Stanley Park as well. They were viewed Need to see them so close like that. So several reports, if you were 
lucky enough to see them. Uh, that's pretty nice. You saw, though, it is certainly gray out there. Um, we did see some sunshine earlier in the day. This was in Kamloops, a beautiful scene with blue sky. And this was from the Pitt River area. Thank you to Michael for that one. But quickly, that uh, cloud cover pushed in, and we're just starting to see the showers develop now. And we'll see that overnight. Tomorrow morning, things really dissipate, although we still do have a chance of showers, mainly along the Sunshine Coast, House Sound, and North Shore Mountains. You can see you'll see mainly cloudy skies, but breaks of blue sky for those of you in the morning across Vancouver Island. Now, I'm hoping for a bit of blue sky in lower mainland, maybe around midday, but we've got another wave of rain that's going to move onshore. So tomorrow will be mostly dry. That rain not pushing in until the overnight tomorrow night, uh, but I really am hoping for some breaks of blue sky. And of course, looking forward to the long weekend. Now, we've been focusing in on these two days as the sunny days. The one problem is it looks like this break may be shifting more towards Friday. So breaks of blue sky late Friday and then that rainfall pushing into our Sunday a little bit. Right now, we're still salvaging Saturday and Sunday. We'll keep you up to date. There's the rainfall across the north. Most inland regions will be sunny again tomorrow. Just a chance of showers in the Columbia region and across the south coast just in the morning. And then we're hoping for mostly dry day before the rain pushes in Wednesday night and it will be very wet both Thursday and Friday. And I'll show you another beautiful shot for the morning. Uh, this was in Tofino. Thanks to John Williams. I'm sorry that shouldn't have a T on the end. Just John Williams. Spectacular shot this morning. That's beautiful. beautiful. Looks like a painting. Thanks, mm -hmm. Christy. Well, the crew of an oil rig more than 200 kilometers offshore in the Gulf of Thailand scrambled to the rescue, not quite believing what they were seeing. A dog paddling towards the platform. They managed to get a rope around it and pull it to safety. They believe it must have fallen off a fishing boat and survived because the water was calm that day. The dog, aptly named Survivor, was taken in by an animal shelter and appears to be in really good shape. If no one claims him, one of the oil rig workers is going to adopt him. Aww. And an equally heartbreaking sight in western England where a horse and rider became stuck in deep mud on the beach. A call for help brought in a number of animal lovers along with firefighters and the Coast Guard. They resorted to good old-fashioned muscle and after two hours of hard work, they managed to free the horse who is apparently in pretty good shape, just needs a little bath. Bath and a brush, I bet, will go a <laughs> yeah. long way. Ooh. I feel like I'm was like peeping Tom Ing on Russell Wilson. The pillow talk. <laughs> yeah. I know that was a little odd. Night. I thought that was a little weird, but <laughs> there's some things you don't want to know. That's right. How a man <laughs> sleeps is one of them. I don't want to see that. That's, that's a private matter. Okay. But uh, you'll see what I mean in just a moment and what Sophie meant and what Chris meant. The uh, Seattle Seahawks will have Russell Wilson around until the end of the 2023 season. He has... A new four-year contract extension. It was signed after Wilson had given the Seahawks a deadline of midnight last night. And it gave Russell everything he wanted. He has a no-trade clause and he is the highest paid player in the NFL. And since the deal wasn't agreed to until, I guess, just after midnight, 1244, I think, he made the official announcement to the world on Twitter, as we mentioned before, from his bed. Hey, Seattle, we got a deal. And it's the kind of deal that'll make Russell Wilson and the Seahawks sleep a lot easier. The contract is four years for $140 million with 
a $65 million signing bonus, making that perhaps one of the most expensive autographs ever. And with it, he goes to the top of the NFL's Money Mountain, making $35 million per year, more than the $33.5 million Aaron Rodgers makes. Wilson keeps going to his right for the touchdown. Wilson's new deal doubles his salary, which means Seattle will now have to get creative when it comes to signing other players. When the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, Wilson was on his rookie deal, and that allowed Seattle to spend money in all the pieces around him. Now he is a centerpiece, not just in terms of stature, but money as well. And it's not very often teams that pay big for quarterbacks get rewarded with Super Bowl titles. Tomorrow night, the Whitecaps are home to LAFC for a 7 o'clock kickoff. Because of all the changes made after last season, the Vancouver Whitecaps are kind of like an expansion team, but really that's not an excuse for no wins after six games. Head coach Mark DeSantos was an assistant with the LAFC in their first year, which was last season, 2018. And despite being a true expansion team last year, they made the playoffs. So DeSantos wants to emulate what they did here in Vancouver. Um, they had a good expansion uh, year when it comes to ch uh, choice of the players. Uh, they have the ideal, uh, the ideal DP for that market in Carlos Vela. Uh, and, and that's the reality. You know, we can't be here lying. It's a club that has everything doing right. And what, what we have to look at, not only Vancouver or any other team in the league saying, that's the example, that's the standard. How close can you get to that? The Lightning had to win four straight to save what was a remarkable season against the Columbus Blue Jackets, who won the first two games in Tampa Bay, won game three at home and started fast in game four. Alexander Texier with a goal there. And then, with the score 3-2, Tampa Bay does rally. One of the guys who hadn't done much so far, Braden Point, with a point. 3-3. But right after that, Columbus gets the lead back. Oliver Bjorkstrand is just left all alone at the side of the net, but it is a delayed penalty. 4-3. Net empty. Goalie out. Desperate times. Season over. Columbus wins it in four straight. That may be one of the biggest upsets in NHL playoff history. Oh, Robin Leonard. Ooh, poo. he's not happy with Patrick Hornquist. And the Penguins aren't happy because they've had trouble beating that man in the Islanders' net. It's 1-0 Pittsburgh. Penguins need to win this game, too. They may not. Goal by Jordan Eberle, who's been great so far for New York, from uh, the Burnaby Winter Club's Matt Barzell. And then Josh Bailey. That's Brock Nelson from Josh Bailey's, and that made it 2-1, and Mario doesn't look very happy there. It's third period. Okay, Champions League action. Messi, Barcelona against Man United. Guess who dominated? Messi. Scores there, and would score four minutes later. Coming up right here, although this one David Ahia should have had, goes right through him. Perhaps a wet ball. Whatever the case, Champions League is over for Man U. Barcelona's on to the semis, as is Ajax. There you go. Thank you. Thank you, Squire. 
Well, as the world struggles to deal with the devastating fire at France's Notre Dame Cathedral, it also reflects on the iconic structure that in many ways transcends religion. NBC's Ann Thompson takes a look at the centuries of history that were almost destroyed by flames. They are inseparable, Notre Dame and Paris. A magnet for 30,000 tourists a day, as many as 50,000 on a week like this, Holy Week, the remembrance of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. But it's a cultural touchstone as well. Coming to life in the 12th century, famous for its innovative flying buttresses, iconic gargoyles, three rose windows, and of course, the spire. This is where Napoleon famously grabbed the emperor's crown from Pope Pius VII in 1804 a backdrop for American soldiers and French girlfriends during World War II. And home to Quasimodo. The fictional bell ringer of Victor Hugo's The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Who is the bell ringer of Notre Dame? Quasimodo, Your Majesty. It is also where Paris wept. Morning in the days after the terrorist attack in 2015, which killed 130. Tonight, having survived revolutions and wars, Paris weeps again, this time for its beloved cathedral. Five years, Emmanuel Macron says it will take if all of France pulls mm -hmm. together five years to rebuild. I, I think that's very, very ambitious. Yeah, I do too. The the billionaires are certainly stepping up. They sure are. Mm -hmm. with, I guess. Well, I think it took like almost 200 years to build. Yeah. From the beginning to the yeah. end. Yeah. yeah. They have new technology now, so that's a good thing. And Wonder machines where, and. <laughs> where are they going to find those giant timbers? Exactly. You know, exactly. Wow. Maybe somebody in BC will provide them. You never Bring know. Bring them in. Hmm. All right. Final word on the weather as we head closer and closer sure. to our long weekend. So showers overnight. It's starting to push in in most areas right now, and we'll see that overnight. Just a slight chance tomorrow morning. Tomorrow, your day I think is mostly dry. We'll sort of catch a break in between systems, but then Wednesday night through Thursday, we are going to see periods of rain into our Friday morning, uh, hoping for breaks of blue sky later Friday and through much of your weekend. The timing of that sunshine still yet to be determined. I would really like to see the little bunny icon on the five-day <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was Sunday. I should have put her in. You know, oh. For next time. Sorry about that. <laughs> Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night. Good night, all.